This is Tangent Party, a show about the things we get lost in. Each week, we stop with a rabbit hole that sucked us in and then see how many tangents we can generate. This week, it's your host, Vance, and with me is the mighty Corinne. Whoop. So, Corinne, do you have a topic for me? I do, I do. I actually ended up watching Fast and Furious 9 over the weekend. I went into the theater. Wow. And yeah, I was, I was pretty pumped for it. The trailers looked pretty amazing. I would say my, you know, we'll do a deep dive later when you've watched it. But my high level summary would be that Vin Diesel blew his load in the trailer. <laughs> you need to be more specific on that because Vin Diesel, he made a movie called Triple X, two of them. But he didn't blow his load on the trailer. <laughs> I feel Vin Diesel was hurting from the fact that Hobbs and Shaw got spun out. Yeah. And he wanted to make a bigger splash and prove how his franchise is better. Mm hmm. And as a result, he really amped up, right? I mean, everyone's seen the trailer, so I'm not re- revealing yeah. anything here. You know, they bring back Han. You yeah. know, they introduce his brother. You know, they have that crazy scene where the airplane catches a fucking car in midair, like a fucking air- magnet airplane. There's some ridiculous scenes in there. And I, and, I, and I feel that Vin Diesel was so psychically hurt by The Rock getting his own franchise that he was like, you know what? Fuck you, Rock. I'm going to show you how my franchise is better than yours. Right. And basically crammed in all the good stuff in the trailer. <laughs> so there's a lot of good stuff in that trailer, though. I'll be oh, there's amazing stuff. And I think I've complained this to you before. Like, there was no reason they had to reveal that Han was back and that that muscly dude who's a replacement for The Rock. Oh, John uh, Cena? Oh, John those- Cena. First of all, you're going to you're, you're hire John Cena. You're putting John Cena on that movie poster, right? I agree. I have no problems with that. But why did they have to reveal that he was his brother? Yeah, good point. You know, they could have kept some mystery in. And ultimately, that's where I'm going to leave uh, you with today, Vance. Is like the mystery and the joy is gone from the movie, right? Because they've <laughs> revealed all the big stuff. Even the fact that they were in space in a car, like they revealed it. Like, you know, like keep some mystery like, you know, people are going to go watch this movie. You don't need to blow your wad. Like, you know, people are going to watch this movie. It's Fast and Furious 9. Like, clearly, <laughs> you know, there's previous eight movies that you made that people have paid you paid to watch. So what are you in such a rush to, you know, to blow your wad on? So uh, that's my overall summary. I'm going to ruin the rest of it for you. Okay, okay. Hold this. Let's let's set the mood a little bit. Where would you rank this in, in of the now 10 Fast and Furious movies? Where would you rank Fast Furious Nine? At that, what, is what, it what Fast Nine? Ten. I thought Hobbs it was and nine. Shaw. Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, you're you're counting that as part of the canon. It's part of the canon. Okay. Okay. And technically, uh, the mini movie for Too Fast, Too Furious. But we're not talking about that right here. We're not. Okay. Okay. You know what? Before I get into there, the only piece of surprise for Fast and Furious Nine, I'm going to ruin this for you. Oh man, this is one of the. It's because one of the worst twists. But <laughs> you remember uh, Lucas Black from uh, Tokyo Adrift? Yeah. Is he the villain? Yes. 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 Bro, that's the best. What? No. Uh, And I believe this is the only movie he's acted in since Tokyo Drift. That is incredible. Like the guy who they they, 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 okay, you can be the star, and the second like, oh, this this was still successful. The guy they just kicked to the side with not a single, not like it was just like just like a, a, a crappy cameo. Like ten years later, he's back as the villain. That's incredible. You're he's wrong. Not back That's... as the villain, he's back as the good guy. Uh, okay. it's a, it is. A, I would consider it to be a cameo, but it's a, a fairly pleasant cameo. 
Hey, I'm in. See, that's one thing I've always loved about Fast and the Furious is the insane, stupid continuity and the, the loving and respecting the continuity. <laughs> that's true. They do they do everyone justice, regardless of how small of a character you were. They yeah. I, I guess it's a little bow wow. If they bring little bow wow, that'd be that'd have been amazing, but they did not. <laughs> Well, and, and the thing I always love is like again, it's, like, it, it's actually secretly the most comic book movie because they'll do things like they'll kill a character and they'll bring him back. Like, don't want to bring him back, but they'll still respect the fact they killed him and over-explain why they killed him and how that how he survived, which he still should have died no matter what. It's great. Well, trust me, you won't have that problem in this movie. They will explain nothing. Nice, good. That's that's also what I like. <laughs> <laughs> do they do, do they do my man Han what justice? I, I guess you're referring to the hashtag justice for Han. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's got a small part. I may, but you know, there's some hints that Fast Ten is where they will truly bring forth justice for Han. You know what thing I love? Okay, it's a little tangent to Fast Ten. You you know, so you know they're making two more movies, right? Yeah, um, I think the last. Last one is going to be the Fast 11. No, they're not making a Fast 11. They're making a Fast 10 Part 1 and a Fast 10 mm. Part 2. Gotcha. Why would you Why would you make that a necessary <laughs> distinction? Like, what purpose does that serve? True, true. I mean, I was going to, you know, mention uh, Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 and 2, but I agree. It was an unnecessary Part 1 and 2. Yeah, and, cause like for, and for Hunger Games, like, they're adapting a really big book, so that's why they had Part 1 and Part 2. Right. When you're making the 12th movie in a franchise, do you really need to call it part two? Is that, is that <laughs> a necessary detail? Agreed, agreed. It uh, seems, yeah, it seems a little ostentatious. And that's why I like this show. This, this, this stupid, stupid movie franchise is the greatest art created by probably this culture at this point. Because... I, I, I don't disagree, but I would say actually Showgirls is, the, <laughs> is, is true art. You know, it's a misinterpreted piece of art, just like Starship Troopers. You know, when when it came out, you hated it, but twenty years later, you look back and like, wow, this movie is fucking smart. It's actually making really, really cogent, satirical statements on the state of our society. Okay, so you, but are you aware that the director and writer of Showgirls and Starship Troopers is the same person? Exactly. Why did you yes. think I brought it up? <laughs> so and you, that's art, my friend. That's art. <laughs> You know, nothing, what, Paul? nothing in Showgirls was an accident. It was all carefully plotted. Based on I think there's no accidents in Showgirls. I think that was the performance he was looking for. And you, you know yes. what? It, it is that show has definitely become appreciated its own time. Yes, there's actually like entire fan shows. You know, like how you have Rocky Picture Horror Show, where like people go to for midnight screenings or the room. Showgirls has reached the same level of cultural epitome where people go to these like midnight screenings there's actually a dude who's like who's so into showgirls that they actually invited him to do a voiceover on a special edition release of showgirls and and uh, you know it's hard for me to describe but if 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 you ever get if you have like two hours to kill i would highly recommend you get this dvd and watch and listen to the voiceover because this man does justice to showgirls really yeah, it is amazing. And I felt that, who was that girl? The the one from uh, Saved by the Bell, Elizabeth Berkeley. Yes. I felt she got unfairly chastised for being a terrible actress when she did exactly what Paul Vander Hoen, whatever his name is, you know, he, she did exactly what he wanted. She He wanted over the top, like completely cartoonish type of performance. Cocaine. And she gave it to him. Yeah, you want to feel the cocaine in the room in every scene. And you do. Yeah. 
Yeah, and she gave it, and she gave it hundred percent. But then she got chastised as being a shitty actress, man. Yes. But you know, this guy, nothing. You know, he goes on to make other movies, right? No issues there. So it's unfortunate. And I think, and I think she's she's recovered. Her career has recovered since that movie, but not in the way you would have expected. Yeah, I, I do. I do agree that like her performance she gives is memorable. I'll say that, and that is that movie. It's like again, it's not like that movie was filled with like incredible performances. It's like it's it's like again cocaine robots is what everyone in that movie is right and it, yeah you get that vibe you definitely get that vibe yeah there's these amazing tonal shifts yes but in retrospect you look back and yeah if somebody was on cocaine then yeah i mean it does make sense to have those kinds of tonal shifts like, you don't know what they're going through right they're probably constantly in search for a high they're like up because the cocaine is an upper right yeah and then they probably crash and then suddenly you know your energy levels go down so that that jarring nature is, I think, captured well by the constant tonal shifts in the film. You know, coupled with some r- truly terrible acting as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, let's not give everyone a blank check on this one. Like, yeah, this, yeah. You're right. It's the masterpiece of the 20th century, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> of, like, the, the late 90s, I'll say that. Because the masterpiece of the 20th century is Robocop. That's, again, different, different, different one. Wait, so are you talking about the, talking about the original Robocop? Hell, yeah. Interesting. Written what, and directed what? by? Paul Van Hoven. Yes. Yeah, see, I told you, man. He's got some classics. I think the weird thing about his movies is that people walk in and be like, okay, like this is gonna be like this is gonna be a brutal action action movie, right? And yeah. then it's actually this super violent satire of and Showgirl's the same thing. It's not it's, it's not violent, but it's definitely uh gratuitous. But like it's like we're gonna give you this super gratuitous satire of this thing, and I think people either like connect with that or just like wait a moment, that wasn't the action movie I want I expected to be. So what about Robocop stands out? For you, so the thing that really stands out for me now, um, now is the, just the brutal corporate s- satire of it all. The plot of it is like the, the police have lost control, and like that's just the, the corporations run everything. It's basically gang warfare out there. Like half the society is basically in collapse, and the police officers basically go up there and, and they literally just die. Like every hour, a police officer dies, and like that's just this, like this corporate world. And like the whole idea is when he comes back, it's the corporation basically. First of all, they arrange to get him killed. Like they first send him on, like, oh, this is going to be a because they because they also run the police dispatching. They originally go get Murphy killed, and then they rebuild Murphy, and it's all part of their like uh, marketing campaign to basically get to take over the police because they're just trying to extend, just extend their corporate control over over the society, and it's like super over top. You can just feel the cocaine in that room during all the corporate scenes. Yeah, you're right. Ultimately, it's a statement on the corporatization of uh, America and the world in general, right? And I, I think that's really the, the the key message there: is yeah. corporations are evil, and if left left unchecked, they will usurp all all control and all power. Yeah, I think the reason that kind of works is that like the because okay, there's a couple of villains who guys in the corporation. Well, these guys are straight up evil, right? But the majority of the people who work in corporations aren't evil inherently. They just like they're just part of the system, right? And this is this is what the system is: is that well, of course we gotta take over the cops because you have to grow your business every year. You're not growing as a corporation; you're dying as a corporation, right? It's it's amazing to think about that movie is almost forty years old. It's, it's, it's forty years old. It's been in the eighties. Oh wow! Yeah, it's a mid eighties movie. You know, now that we're talking about all these movies, it's interesting that uh, a lot of the movies made in the eighties and nineties were about the dystopian future. Like, you yeah. know, Starship Troopers, Robocop. Then there was also Judge Dredd. Yes. Or Dredd, I guess. You know, and I, I thought the reboot was way better. 
than the original. It's yeah. unfortunate. I, I think it's a very underrated reboot, but I think Carl Urban just like blows that out of the water. It's amazing. Oh, man. That should be an HBO show. Like again, like, <laughs> and look, Carl right. was doing the boys, right? You can get him to do an HBO Amazon prime version of dread. Like let's, let's do it. But yeah, it was weird. I think, you know, back in the eighties and nineties, I think people thought the future was going to be all dystopian, but I think the dystopia came in a different form. Yeah. It came in the form of social media as opposed to robots taking over the world. Yeah. Ironically, in a much worse form than anything that was possibly envisioned. <laughs> oh, shit. We thought the robots were going to take over. Now it's just a bunch of 13-year-olds trolling me. It's oh, even this, worse. This is way worse. <laughs> like, I have to learn a new freaking app every six months. Like, what the hell is TikTok? Like, that's yeah. way worse. What's Discord? What's Twitch? I feel so old. I still yeah. don't know what the fuck Discord is, Vance. Okay, I think it's used exclusively by old people like us or young or like young video gamers. I think those are the only two audiences for this thing. So, and then how is that different from Twitch? Uh, well, okay, so Twitch is just straight, just like video uh, streaming service, right? Like, it's like, I want to, originally it was for video games, but now it's like, okay, you want to watch someone in a hot tub for 12 hours? You can do that, right? You mean this is grown up uh, chat roulette? No, they have almost hilariously detailed nudity rules and sexuality rules because, again, they're very detailed. Like, you want to know exactly how much of your uh, nipple you can show? They have a very good description of that for you. So, Twitch is I'm a video gamer and I want to broadcast me playing video games for 12 hours and people can watch me. Yes. And then, but then I'm going to play Fortnite for 12 hours, but then I'm also going to talk to people for these 12 hours. And um, I'm going to, and then we're going to have a community where we interact and we have all these inside jokes. And then when the smoke clears, I'm going to have 2 million followers who watch me every day. And then Twitch is going to pay me $10 million. Like that's the Twitch end game, right? So Twitch pays you to be a Twitcher. Yes. I guess if you're a really good video gamer, people will log in to watch you stream your games live and get a hard on. It's kind of like watching sports, like watching soccer or watching hockey or whatever. People like, you know, people who are into video games will pay to watch you uh, stream your video game live. Yes, but I think the misconception is like these guys do tend to be quite good, but that's not the people just don't log in the the watch someone who's very good at a game. A lot of these guys are good at the game. People watch it because they think it's entertaining, right? Or they watch it because like I want to re- I want to watch somebody play Legend of Zelda for N sixty four, but I don't want to play it myself because I'm I'm a tired man with a job and no and a is mortgage. This, <laughs> is like how lazy have these fucking thirteen year olds gotten? Where they're too lazy to play Legends of the Zelda. They're just gonna <laughs> watch some motherfucker play this game. Is this how bad it's gotten as a society? What it actually is? It's just like background noise, right? Like I think for for a generation of people, this is the equivalent of. This is the equivalent of putting on a podcast or putting on music or just background noise, right? I think that's the actual secret is that the majority of people put that shit up on their second stream. They'll say that, like, I love Overwatch. I'll put this Overwatch streamer who I like, who I have a personality with, who's funny. But and they're gonna play for 16 hours today. Then I'll do my job or I'll do whatever I'm supposed to be doing. But I always always have this kind of in the background, right? I think that's kind of the actual appeal is that it's very good backgrounds, background footage. And I think that's why young people like it so much is because young people have no money and a lot of time. Twitch is perfect for that. It offers you hundreds of hours of, of free entertainment. So something like a podcast would be too serious. They want something mindless. Is that what it is? They want some audiovisual component too as well, right? And if you're into but, like a, a specific game, because a lot of the most popular, like Fortnite is the most popular one by far. And the appeal of that is that one, every game is a little different strategy. So you can watch it, but if you need to walk away for half an hour, who cares? He's going to get killed and come back next 10 minutes anyway. Oh, so it's almost like an educational video because these kids want to get better at 
Fortnite so they're watching someone else play learn from the strategies and so they can beat they can employ the same strategies and when they play and beat the game is that what it is i think that's initial appeal but i think the thing that hooks people is the the personalities right like that that's the secret because a lot of the, the best players of Fortnite in the world are not the are not the the top streamers at all because best players of Fortnite are in a are in a freaking like basement in Korea being whipped, practicing day in, day night, day in, day out, right? <gasps> they're the they're the video game equivalent of K-pop. They get inducted into school at 14 and all they do is play fucking Fortnite for like six years in a row until they're the best in the world. Yes, that's not a joke. That's a, these are facts that are happening as we what? speak all the way. Yeah, like, oh yeah, esports is that's real shit, man. After like 24, 25, your your muscles get too slow, like you lose your edge. So you, okay. you gotta get young people and they and they, they literally have dojos you get trained in. Like you go and you live in a house and you play it 12 hours a day. Yeah, that's what you need to compete on like the absolute high level. I guess when you're competing at like a professional level, like a lot of these kids are, you need to train at a very young age much like physical sports right so it's no different is what you're saying yeah absolutely absolutely and even even though it's not a physical sport you still you still age out of it pretty quickly yeah i guess your reflexes go down as you get older right yeah sounds like that's the big one yep since it is like all digital it's all worldwide you truly if you get to a certain level you're truly playing the best people in the world right like you're not playing right. like if, I, if i'm a regular uh, rugby player i'm playing the best rugby players in my city i'm not playing the best rugby players in freaking england right it makes it since it's all digital you really do get the best of best and to compete that level you need to practice and train at that level so in twitch you're watching these players play maybe learn new strategies but are these you know people who are, who are streaming um their games live are they also like talking to their audience yes that's the key point Karen, is that they're always talking to the audience so they have a stream and they ask questions and they're constantly typing and responding to people and then they and then if you're a right popper streamer you can get special emotes so you can like jam like vans jumping off a cliff if he doesn't wacky and then they're a gif of vans jumping off a cliff will show up on the show up on the screen it's all the community like that is that is the that's People come in because they want to watch the game be played for various reasons, and they get hooked to people's personalities. Oh, interesting. I wonder if it's like, if it's like watching chess. But no, because chess has no personality. They specifically <laughs> try to hammer that all out, right? Twitch is also kind of pivoted a little bit to try to get a little bit off of video games. So if you actually go to you go to Twitch right now, the most popular stream is always category is just just talking or something, which doesn't even have video games. It's like a streamer. It's basically a, 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 a YouTube stream. Basically, you can t- put it on and watch other people talk. Yeah, talk, or maybe they're playing a piano, or maybe I don't know they're vacuuming. Like again, we could broadcast this podcast on on Twitch if we wanted to, right? Like mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. all the APIs are all built in there, so it's basically just a video streaming service you can use. And then if you want to pay money for it, you can archive your stuff, or you can pull, pull over to YouTube. Like th- that that's the advantage of the feature, right? And then for monetization, if enough people watch you on 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 Twitch, Twitch will give you money. But as well as you can like, I can't, I can't remember they call it. it's like bits or something stupid like that. But people can basically tip you, so they can buy. I want a thousand bits for a hundred bucks, and they can give five bits to the streamer here and there. So that's another reason way to make money is like you can tip your streamers, similar to like a cam site. So you're basically a cam girl. There, yes, they actually basically stole all. Basically, this is the cam girl, which instead of like uh, boobs, it was video games. Once people get addicted to the, they're in for the personality and not in for the actual like con. Like once they. They're not there to watch video games. They're there to watch Shroud play Fortnite. I feel you've actually done a lot of research into this. You, you... I know so much about this. And completely useless. Completely useless information. That's one thing. Huh. But, you know, that's an interesting point you made. It sounds very much like they just straight up borrowed 
or stole concepts from the porn world. Oh yeah, 100%. Like, where you have cam girls, you can tip cam girls, and you know, you build a personality. It's the is the cam girls with personality that's that have, that have the X factor that build a following, right? It's like yes. back in the day when you had your favorite stripper at Boudoir Fucking Rouge, and it's a relatively new place. So. <laughs> <laughs> or the French maid, excuse me. That was the original boudoir. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's like it's like 15 years ago. Yep, that's accurate. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Kitty Connor from the Shell Building downtown. Um, oh, yeah, where... you did the crazy uh, biker one. No, 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 not that one. <laughs> no, no. But anyway, so you know, I think that's sounds like that's what this is. Essentially, you have your favorite stripper. You'd go and you'd hang out with. You know, try to build a following as a stripper as you yeah. tour around the country. Or the province, and now nobody does that. I don't even know if people if people go to strip clubs. I mean, it just seems like the most stupidest thing. You can just set up a Twitch account and have a personality, say funny stuff, build a following around you, and people will like pay you to be a, a, a funny personality. Sounds like. Yep, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. The exact same like issues that like, every YouTuber, every musician, every person out there is literally a million people trying to do this because it's free and it's been very easy, relatively made very easy to do. But like, there's only like a hundred people on top, on the top, right, making all the money. Yeah, it's the top one percent. I think there's a, a statistic that shows that on Medium, as an example, I think only the top one percent of people who write on Medium make like more than hundred bucks uh, per month or something, right? It, it's very, very small percentage. So all these channels are very similar, right? You have to, I think, you have to have some real talent. And you have to be someone who's good at understanding the cultural zeitgeist and sort yeah. of hitting on that button of what are people interested in paying and listening to, right? 100%. You have to have that X factor, and then you have to be good, and then you have to also just be really lucky. Because at some point, the algorithm has to like shift towards you for whatever reason, right? Like You need to get be shown on a platform. Otherwise, you, people just won't even find you. You can be the best in the world. Yeah, that's crazy. But, but I think that's the key thing of all these freaking apps. That's why it's so frustrating, is that 95% of what they do is the exact fucking thing that's 15 hour apps on your phone do. But the 10% that they do unique is what people like about the app, right? Yeah, essentially they've carved up the niche and they serve that niche really well. And they built uh, they built a following in that niche. Yeah, 100%. Like, like, like why the fuck did WhatsApp get, get so big? Well, it's because Apple is being chintzy of iMessages and BlackBerry Messenger. They, um, BlackBerry Messenger was the original WhatsApp, right? No, man. ICQ was the original WhatsApp. Yeah, but, okay, but yeah, ICQ was the original WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare! Yeah, you're not wrong. I can't, I can't. Oh yeah, you really want to get into it? Like, I didn't have I didn't have a computer in the '80s, so I can't I can't reference whatever this fucking chat program they use back then. But yes, you're right. So this is used- why was WhatsApp for? Like, what? It's probably worth. It got bought by for a billion dollars or two billion. Yeah. Yeah, so that feels like that feels like for free based on like some other bullshit that sells, right? But again, go back to Bumble. Why the fuck the Bumble is the same fucking thing? Is like I'm sure it's got some slightly different features than all their competitors. But like fundamentally, why is this worth ten billion? But one that's very similar is is worth like nothing. It's probably because Bumble has a user base for whatever reason, right? Yeah, I think a lot of these social apps basically rely on creating uh, a community, right? And once, as you said, once that community hits a critical mass, more and more people jump in. Bumble's original claim to fame was only women could message. So I think that was very popular with women. I think because when Bumble put a more female forward approach, I think that really resonated. And of course, if if the women go there, then the dudes are going to follow, right? Right. So I think it's interesting how small tweaks like that can really end up 
sort of working out really well and scale up a whole company, right? Because on paper, you're like, oh, so women are, you know, are allowed to message first. Okay, that's cool. But is it really that differentiating of a factor, you know, and they must have tested it. Obviously, they tested it. They have a beta group, you know, they they had product managers who were probably testing this constantly. This feature was something that people were willing to pay for. And I think they found a niche that worked for them. And I think they 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 scaled up from there, right? So it's it's interesting how small innocuous features could end up making a billion dollar companies. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because I I wonder even in terms of like that build up, like you can't just like walk to some hire some like uh, a group of like designers and be like, you see Tinder, change the T to a B and just rip them off whole. Do literally everything they did except disable this messaging function. If they're a, a product company worth their salt, they would have tested the concept very early on in alphas and betas and proven that giving women more control, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these really smart, you know, software tech companies who have a hypothesis and they test that hypothesis and they sort of continuously iterate to a point where their original hypothesis could be completely different uh, from what they actually make money on. So it's, so it's possible they started off with, let's create a competitor to Tinder with feature X, right? And as they experimented, they realized that the original feature that they thought was going to be the killer factor was actually useless. Like nobody gave a shit about this. And they sort of, you know, iterated to this feature where only women were allowed to message you first. And they noticed that it took off, right? So a lot of these sort of discoveries happen through a lot of testing. And that's the advantage of the software world is you can iterate very, very quickly in, in, in weeks, if not months, and, you know, come to a really, really solid sort of thesis on what's going to sell, right? Basically, a minimum viable product that has people pay for is uh, technically feasible and, you know, it's like viable, right? But I don't know. I've not read the Bumble story. I don't yeah. know what uh, process they used. You're probably right, though. Like, that's actually pretty insightful that in most cases, like, the thing that people like is actually not the problem they originally tried to solve, right? Like, that's it's right. The, I think that's true. That's very true in most of the tech world, right? Yeah, right. most uh, like most good product teams go through like tens, if not hundreds of bad ideas before they land on something that works. I, I can't imagine Bumble would have been any different, right? Yeah, no, I think you're 100% true. What was Facebook's original concept? Zuck is like, I want to I wanna see some babes. I want to rate them. Like that, that was basically <laughs> his initial pitch, right? And then, oh, people like, look, like looking at pictures of each other. I can make that a whole thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have to be from elite universities. You can be like any asshole around the world. Hey, Facebook Marketplace, best place to buy and sell. That's my only, that's the only reason I have Facebook at this point. That's true. I was actually, I've been using it for renting on my condo and also selling some stuff before the move in at a West Elm uh, dining table and it sold in like a week. Yeah, and you're right, man. Kijiji's gone down the hill. Dead. Yeah, the people you deal from Kijiji. And, and actually, this is worth mentioning because Craigslist was the first app. This is the shit. And then yeah. Kijiji came and said, fuck that shit. We post pictures as well, right? So Kijiji's like, fuck Craigslist. is all with the Kijiji. And then, la- and then last time you try to sell Kijiji, it's like, it's just it's a gong show. Everyone who's on this fucking app is like lowballing you by like 95%. You're like, no, I'm not going to even talk to you for $4. Like, why did you even offer that to me? Yeah, 100%. And I've noticed that there's so many ads on Kijiji now where like basically Kijiji is an ad for like Wayfair. I go to like look for dining sets on Kijiji and there's a bunch of ads for Wayfair.cf top, right? Yes. yes. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't understand. You're sort of cannibalizing your own business model. Like, why are you advertising Wayfair? It makes no sense. So I don't know. I don't. And yeah, and the quality of the product is not there. Like, people are not posting on it, I think. I don't know what it is. But even if I wanted to look for stuff, there wasn't any good stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the thing I find interesting with Kijiji. It got corrupt because it's too easy to make an account. 
but it's very easy to make a Facebook account. But people yeah. don't do, don't do that grift on Facebook because I, that's why I assume Kijiji died, right? Like, if there was no reason, I would be fascinated to know that why why people prefer Facebook Messenger because I I fucking hate Facebook Messenger. Make no mistake, this is an inferior, inferior product in pretty much every way because you know you have to use fucking Facebook Messenger. I'm like fuck it, like it's one. I'm already installing two apps in this. I'm going to this weird subsection in this other app. In order yeah, to, uh, I got WhatsApp. I got fucking Signal. I got you know iMessages. Yeah. I got Discord. I got yeah. Twitch. I got LinkedIn. Yeah, and so, now I want you want me to use Facebook Messenger. The big thing is like, but it's it's where people move to. And it has to be because it was it having Facebook must require just this one higher level of, of authentication to do it to call the horseshit. Because otherwise, I don't understand why people prefer message, Facebook Marketplace over Kijiji. I think there's a level of I don't know what the term is. How about being authentic or a level of security or or it may, it's it's challenging to be you can't just like log on and be a well you could log on and be a dirtbag on Facebook like that's the thing I find fascinating it's just, is there actually a technical reason or are people less willing to lowball people like try to run scams on Facebook for for some reasons is there actually a technical reason of preventing them or is the social aspect that your Facebook profile is linked to a real person is that enough, enough to prevent people that I'm unsure about because you make a fa- fake Facebook pretty easily I assume like the, the, that's a question I would love to have an answer to yeah you're right I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of newspapers have gone are forcing you now to link any comments you post to your social media account, right? Because yeah. now you can't just be any random asshole. You're, you know, an asshole whose name can be tracked down on social media and people can, you know, people know who you are. So it removes a layer of anonymity maybe that yeah. Kijiji still has. Yeah. And I, I think that's it. I think even having that little bit of activation energy is enough to, you know, prevent people from acting like a-holes, right, on the internet. That'd be enough. You know what this actually reminds me of? Like, are you familiar with the Florida Man uh, meme? No, I haven't heard of it. You never heard of Florida Man? Just no. like okay, so if you type in Google News right now, you type in Florida Man, you get you'll get a crazy article about some crazy shit that happened in Florida. Like this is a very I'm shocked. That's not a very high bar, by the way. Yeah, but that's my point. Florida is famously insane, right? Filled with insane yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. And I try to feel like, why the hell the Florida man, Florida woman, like, where does this come from? Like, why is so much crazy shit come out of Florida? And there's actually a very good reason for it. Okay, go it's, on. It's, Florida has one of the most open, like, has, like, the loosest privacy laws in the, the Western world, which means that, so if you are a reporter, you're allowed to walk into a police station and say, Give me the names of everyone who got arrested and what they were arrested for the last week. That literally is what a beat reporter's job is. He goes to the police station every day and he every week and he gets the collection of like all the crazy shits that happened that week that people were arrested for. But this is key. It's not the stuff that people actually got like trialed for, right? It was so like none of the stuff was actually evidenced by an actual jury and results. This is all just like tell me the crazy stuff that happened this week, and they'll just give you a list of like Florida man falls into a pool with a gator. Or Florida man, <laughs> it would be less fun if you actually know all the details. Since they can only get like the very like two line crazy shit. That why did the police officer arrest them? Oh, because he's wearing a, he was wearing a speedo in a Walmart. That's why he arrested them. And then you actually go into details. It's, it's, it's much much interesting. So it allows you it allows you access to this stuff very raw. So you get most raw, but without that, without that much details and context actually nuanced. So it's a perfect storm. And it's also a state of a lot of people, right? Like it's a very heavily populated state that 
So you're going to get, statistically, you're getting a lot of very crazy, like sound bites of crazy shit that's going on in Florida, right? Circling back to Florida, man. What is Florida, man? Who is this man? So this is how newspapers prevent themselves from getting sued. Is so they go to the police station, they get their information, but they want they can get the real name, but they don't want to use the real name. So they always say, Florida man was arrested today for firing guns at a Mexican flag. It's always that one soundbite because they don't want to give the name of the person. There's always a Florida man or Florida woman who did it because they, they don't want to use the real names because they don't want to get sued. They're tracking all the crazy shit that happened without the, the context of why it happened and then avoiding using a real names so they don't get sued. So it's a perfect storm of this crazy ass news article. They have lax privacy laws combined with not wanting to get sued. So you get these, you get this perfect storm. You get these crazy stories all the time. That's, but that's the thing I love about that. There's a phenomenon you hear in the media, and there's a very actually good reason for it. And that's what I'm always looking for in lots of these things. Like, is there, is, what's the, what's the secret reason that a company did very well, right? Like Amazon, for example, one of the secret reasons they did very well is they never had to pay taxes. Then they, they didn't have to pay any uh, state taxes on any of their online services for their life originally. So they would literally undercut every all their competitors as a result. Yeah, a lot of these tech companies set up offshore tax havens. I think all most of them in like Northern Ireland, right? But, but this isn't an offshore thing. Like for example, you, you never you never had to pay any GST tax on your Netflix, on your Disney. When they wrote these rules, like what what GST applies to, this shit didn't exist. And I think a lot of tech companies they when they move fast like that, like they find like a weird loophole where like technically taxes don't apply to us because of this. You can target that, right? So you can buy books for literally cheaper than the bookstore. As soon as uh, Bezos announced that he's going to space, Richard Branson came in and said, hey, I'm going to space a week before you, motherfucker. I know, that's so good. Oh, man, that stuff is so good. The, the thing I love about that, the timing of that is like, that's so fast, that's so petty. It's just like, oh, yes. this is good shit. This is good billionaire drama shit. Yes, it's like, fuck you, man. I've been planning on going to space for like way before you were even around. Yes, like, were you a billionaire for like five years now? Whatever, man. I've been going there for a long time. You, you, you just got divorced. I've been divorced for ages. Like, come on, man. I've been living up for living Oh, so good. Classic billionaire pettiness. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. That's what I love about our current batch of crazy billionaires is that like all billionaires in general tend to be like insane. But these guys are like insane in a way that's like really kind of boring in lots of ways. Very like, predictable, I think, is yeah. the word you're looking for. Yeah, it's like, really? Like, you guys can't, you can innovate so many things, but you're, you're still doing the same. You guys all want rocket companies? Like, really? Can't one of you guys have like a drilling company or be an ocean guy? Like, why do you all got to be space guys? Like, like well, it's a variety in my billionaire class, right? Yeah, I. you know, it's funny. Actually, I was thinking about that today because I can empathize so you know back when we were younger we were big travel hounds you know we've been to quite a few places together in europe and in asia and it came to a point where i think i tallied up all the countries i've been to it's like 30 countries and i've visited like all seven continents and i've you know i've been to the ends of the globe right and i think it's the same thing that happens to these billionaires they come to a point where owning one of the biggest companies in the world and being on the top 10 billionaire lists, that feels very small. They need another notch in their belt or they want to feel like they're tackling like global issues. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because the country, even though it's an international or multinational company, it's still on earth. And what do you do when you become a billionaire CEO? You're not interested in running for politics. 
you know, no. you don't want to create global change like Bill Gates does. So what what other option is there? The only other option is to look towards the sky because they've run out of the things they can do on this planet from their perspective. I'm not saying that's accurate, but but it's almost like, ah, like I got nothing else to do on this earth. I've accomplished everything I wanted to. So I'm going to set my eyes you know, set my sights to the to the skies, which I think is a very, you know, narcissistic viewpoint because they could be doing a lot of good. Like they could be doing like what fucking Bill Gates did and, and you know, do some actual good. But, you know, I think for them, it feels too menial. It, it's too small. Yeah. Well, like real talk, like that charity stuff is like really hard to do well, right? Really hard and it, probably way harder than their actual job is, right? To do it in an effective manner. And I can definitely see like, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be another CEO. Like I already have that job, right? Like I don't want a second exactly. version of that job. It's too common for them, right? It's like if you've done all the seven major peaks as a mountaineer, like everything else feels commonplace. The bar is so high yeah. that you have to constantly raise the bar. Otherwise you feel worthless. I think you absolutely nailed it. Space is still space right now. And th- there's no governments in that space. The space race is heating up. There's a lot of private space companies now that essentially what they do is the next time SpaceX wants to launch a plane, right? And you have like a small package that's like, you know, what are five kilograms and you're not going to pay NASA or someone else to to fly your package up, right? So they'll basically wait until there's a critical mass of small packages. There's some satellites now that are the size of a phone or the size of a small bicycle. They'll just like package it all together in one package uh, on SpaceX and send it up, spend it up to space. So a lot of these... In- interesting companies that are playing in that in that pun not intended space <laughs> private space stuff is it's really interesting the fact they exist even is, as a very viable market is very interesting all right let's do a tangent count we really went some weird places i count the total of nine tangents we started with corinne's review of f9 which got which brought us into the films of paul vanderhoven such classics as robocop and showgirls then we talked about our how age dystopia versus the current dystopia we live in. Then with that note, we went right into Twitch and Discord. And then further on that dystopia, we went into esports and how how to be competitive in that front, which got us talking about why some tech companies are more successful, which let's focus right in on Amazon's tax loopholes and one of the key reasons to, to their success. And we end once again with billionaires in space. <laughs> we everything we talked about in this movie. In this podcast. Yeah, that's that seems to be our favorite way to end most episodes. Billionaires in space. Well, that's it, folks. Thanks once again for tuning in to another episode of Tangent Party. You can find all our episodes at tangentparty.com or as well as all your favorite podcast apps. If your podcast app allows it, please rate and review because it really does help. You can drop us a line at tangentparty.yyc at gmail.com or you can follow us at all the updates on Twitter at Tangent Party. This is your host, Vance, signing off. See you guys next week. 